You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. And so this is Why We Do What We Do. And uh, Shane, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And I'm sorry too. (laughs) What are you sorry for? I don't know. We're just sorry. We're, we're, <laughs> we're so sorry. I'm just thinking about that South Park episode where they had the, I think it was the president or the VP of, or the CEO maybe of, of BP. And, uh-huh. and he's does all these apology videos. And there's one, he's like laying in front of a fire and he's all naked. He's like, we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's one where, uh, it may, is it the office maybe where Andy Bernard is trying to get Michael Scott to like him, and he just apologizes really aggressively. He's just yeah, like, yeah. "I'm sorry for I'm sorry for my friendship or something along those lines." Yeah, like, I remember that. <laughs> That's a good it's example. So good. Yeah, way to bring way to bring that one in. I like it. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, what we're talking about today is this idea of apologizing, and the reason that I wanted to take this on is well I have, some, I have some kind of personal reasons I guess I'll, I'll share some stories a little bit later but I this is an interesting topic to me and I think that I have I have a somewhat unique position relative to other people that I have known and met in my life um, and how they feel about things like contrition and apologies and so wh- today we're going to be talking about this idea of apologizing and saying sorry and and contrition and another term that you may or may not be familiar with called Schadenfreude. Yeah, what's that all about? Well, it's a German word, as it as you might have been able to guess, and it has to do with a, a sort of emotion in a way, but we'll we'll get to that a okay. little bit later and dive into it. <laughs> so cool. today we're going to try to answer the question of sort of what are apologies? What's the history of this idea of apologizing? What do they mean? What are they for? Why do people like them? And how do we explain this as in sort of an objective way, but also just looking at this from the basic, like the the view of like what's happening, I guess, if if you will. So like just just break down like what was the context in which this takes place that might help illuminate why and when it happens and, and the purpose of it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, um, you know, as somebody who practices in an area where I see a lot of problem behavior, apologies seem to be something that comes up. It comes up quite a bit. And it's real. It's I'm really interested to dive into this because I think that I'm sure we'll discuss this more later. But I, I have found that a lot of families that I serve or that I practice for tend to harp on this idea of apologies when maybe they're not as as critical as I think that people make them out to be. Yeah. Um I suppose it it'll be individual to the sort of culture and context that they're in. But that being said, again, I think we can break down the context of of a situation in which that would be something that seems valuable and understand what's going on there psychologically. So let's jump in then with a little bit of background, the history of the word apology and sorry. So apology comes from Greek of apo, which means away from or off, and logia, apologia, 
from <laughs> logos, um, meaning speech. So you have some off or away from speech. And the earliest meaning in English was something said or written in defense or justification of what appears to others to be wrong or of what may be liable to disapprobation. And so, and that was a, a direct quote from a definition. So essentially, the earlier version of an apology was more of a self-defense than it was a like act of contrition of a, I'm sorry type <laughs> approach. And another example of this is in Plato's Apology to Socrates, of Socrates um, is an account of a self-defense presented at the trial of Socrates, not an explanation of how the philosopher admits guilt or transgressions just a argument for the defendant in that case. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause, uh, cause like, you know, are the context that I am used to hearing apologies in is very like an admission of guilt almost, or an admission of fault. So it's interesting to see kind of where it comes from. So the earliest published use of apology, uh, that we actually have evidence of comes from the title of work by Sir Thomas More, a Catholic humanist and social philosopher of Henry VIII's court in 1533. So the earliest evidence that we have of any apology at all is only a few hundred years old, which is which is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there was some evidence of an apology in a 1526 handwritten uh, apology and a correspondence between members of the British court. A letter addressed to Cardinal Thomas Wolsey saying, quote, here is an apology made for the defense of the French king, end quote. Again, this sounds more like the sort of self-defense type angle than necessarily in an admission of guilt or wrongdoing. But, and I would also guess, and we'll get into this more soon, but I would guess that probably what had happened was people were using the word sorry and apology in sort of colloquial daily speech it hadn't been necessarily published or written down yet until a little bit later. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think someone just invented this whole cloth because there would be no context for which anybody would interact with that type of exchange and have any meaning around it. You say, sorry, and they're sort of looking at you thinking, what does that mean? I've never, right. heard, I've never heard those syllables together before. Um, and <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily there had to have been some use of this that predated the publication of it. That being said, we can look and say around that time, which is fairly recent, it seems like, that was um, that an example of that. And this is something that is fairly, I want to say, it's it's fairly well represented in Christian theology. And so it seems like it has to go back at least as far as the 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 bible goes back that that seems to be what i would take away from that yeah you would you would think so i mean considering that um like especially in like uh catholic practices like the the idea of just repenting all the time yeah <laughs> there's so much i feel like there's so much apologizing in that in in some of those traditions that you know i i'm shocked that you don't see a more current record of it yeah there seems to be a lot of overlap with the idea of penitence and apologizing and confession in a way as well. So um, I, I would think that this is much older than the way it's written here. However, it may have existed in a different form than just saying, like, I apologize or I'm sorry. 
Right, right, right. That makes sense. So so the actual term or the phrase, I'm sorry, seems to have begun at the, the end of the 16th century. And we can actually blame Shakespeare for this, it looks like. A direct quote from one of his works is, my lord, there needs no such apology. So this is a direct quote from him and uh, kind of discusses or starts like kind of bringing about the idea of the term or the phrase, I'm sorry. <laughs> the And also seems to be one of the first people to use it as sort of sorry, not sorry type of approach (laughs) which is great that's great so before um before demi lovato came around we had shakespeare that was that really like stood on that so the og demi lovato (laughs) that's fantastic so um if you're not familiar with shakespeare shakespeare is renowned as a creator of new words so like a big thing that he did in a lot of his works he would create these new words that would be introduced into um english language um and he seems to be the first person that actually said um like you kind of mentioned before like i'm sorry but not really sorry kind of that's kind of how he dug into it like he said like i'm sorry but mm, not so much so um which i think is just really great but the the idea or the it's it's possible that the word sorry came from something that that he actually had written that he he might have even created the word well and that again i would suspect that in part this some of this existed already in some of the culture of of people of the time that being said he had the advantage of he could create a word and apply meaning to that word immediately because he it's it's situated in the context of a dialogue between people, so it wouldn't necessarily have to be developed over a long period of time if it was situated inside of a, a narrative that people were already following inside one of his plays. So it does kind of make sense that it's possible he really did initially sort of create the word or the phrase and that it it would have been able to be attributed to him, although you know, there are some people who believe that he had ghostwriters, but... Aside from, aside from that, oh, let's just say his writing. Then it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter. <laughs> his but, works, yeah. So looking at this, I was curious why or when people started apologizing. And there is an evolutionary psychologist, I believe, or at least an altruism researcher who looks at the evolutionary history of things, who has published a lot on this. And his name is Robert Trivers. Maybe Trivers. What do you think, Trivers? I would, I would probably go with Trivers. All right, Trivers. Robert Trivers. And so, <laughs> thanks. He says <laughs> that um, many of our politeness-related behaviors and social-emotional responses are rooted in the fact that we are a species that needs to both belong and be included in social circles. And this is a common theme that I found in a lot of the research that I did was this idea that apologizing specifically is part of this social reciprocity of belonging to groups, which leads to another question about how other cultures deal with this. But that that's sort of his take on this, at least initially, was that it is a feeling of belongingness and trust. Yeah, and and I guess that makes sense. And especially when you start getting into like the complexities of like social circles and like, uh, you know, some of the things that that come about when when there are transgressions or there are, um, you know, you do hurt quote unquote hurt somebody's feelings and stuff like that. Um, yeah, this idea of like guilt or feeling sorry helps motivate somebody to set things straight, right? So so apologies may have come up in those social social circles and it makes sense from a by uh, an evolutionary standpoint that these social circles would evolve and grow and our societies continue to grow and and we need to have some kind of way to um, you know problem solve or resolve some conflict. So it's it's a pretty easy it's a pretty easy way to be like, hey, you know what? I know we disagreed. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> you know? Um, and so the, it, it's, it's a nice, easy way instead of having to get into like, you know, treaties and contracts and all that kind of fun stuff. So probably they both happened, but that's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So there are some famous quotes that you'll recognize from, or at least you'll recognize the authors. You might not recognize the quote. Who reads anymore these days, you know? Ah, <laughs> uh, books. What I are know. they even good for? Firewood. Well, who needs <laughs> fires anymore? We've got... <laughs> we don't, yeah, we have what, an LED fireplace. Yeah. Cool. I've got my HVAC and a fireplace <laughs> sitting on my smart TV. <laughs> oh, my God. So every Christmas, Netflix has that fire log. The yes. fireplace that you play. Right. I play it every year. It comes up. It's like, you because you watch this, and I get recommendations for other fires. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> recommendations <laughs> for other fires. That's a wonderful sentence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so let's do some of these. Some of the quotes from some famous people. Some of them, they're just using the word sorry, but just, you know, just to give some, I guess, pop reference, if you will. Although... These are all pretty old, except one of them. Anyway, the first one is, quote, Let us endeavor so to live so that when we come to die, even the undertaker will be sorry, end quote. This comes from Mark Twain. Sort of a sentiment there of live in such a way that people will miss you. Yeah. No, I, that's a really great quote, actually. Yeah, I really um, like it. Mark Twain had such a way with words. Oh, it's fantastic. So uh, another one is, if good people, are, uh, if people are good only because they fear punishment and hope for reward, then we are a sorry lot indeed. And that is from Albert Einstein. I think that one's great too. Yeah, yeah. I've heard some other people talk about the idea that if your motivation is to avoid punishment or gain reward, then that is not uh, moral. And I think I would have some beef with that, generally speaking. But I, I think that I do. I like the sentiment expressed in this quote. That you do things for the sake of doing good things, um, because doing things is the is being good is your motivation, not because someone's paying you to do it. If that makes sense. So uh, another one is yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, um, quote: There is something so amiable in the prejudices of a young mind that one is sorry to see them give it away to the reception of more general opinions. End quote. This comes from Jane Austen. And this one comes from somebody. I'm just going to say is not so savory, but it, it, is a, it is a quote that was said out loud at some point. So um, the quote is, why do we let blind people in wheelchairs become citizens? I feel sorry for cripples, but that doesn't mean I want them in my country. <laughs> and that is, I feel so awful saying that. That is from Ann Coulter. So that's right on par with her language. Yeah, that's her, that's <laughs> her brand. We are by no means endorsing her opinion or her or anything that she says or does just to communicate how the phrase sorry occurs in popular writing. That's the only intention of including that quote. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. All right. And the last one, quote, I sit on a man's back, choking him and making him carry me, and yet assure myself and others that I am very sorry for him and wish to ease his lot by all possible means, except by getting off his back, end quote. And that comes from Leo Tolstoy. And I actually really enjoy that one because <laughs> – I've seen this so much in other versions of literature and also just in sort of, I guess, people do this. This like, I, I'm going to, it's sort of the, the idea of like talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're like, I'm going to say over here on one, on one side of the discussion, this is what I want to have happen. And the easiest thing that I, I could possibly do to alleviate this situation, I'm not going to do. And yeah, that makes sense. This is like... <clears throat> 
I don't I don't know that I really want to declare against this. There's this huge movement of like don't use straws. And that's a really it's an important thing. We use a ton of single-use items in the world. Definitely a lot in the United States. And it's a remarkable number of these single-use items, they are created, they get used one time, they end up in a landfill, they take a million years to disintegrate or whatever, you know. It's it's not a sustainable system to have that going on. They don't get reused. So, I get that. And I sort of, when I, I saw this campaign, this big push for, like, stop using straws, my initial reaction was, did you intentionally seek out the lowest hanging possible fruit that you could like what's the easiest <laughs> least impactful thing that I could do you know right right and and you know no like again I want to say like I think this it's an important campaign it's good to like if you're gonna start somewhere you may as well start somewhere that you can be successful straws are pretty low but like we're not gonna save the world by by not using straws it'd be I think that we all should have stopped using straws I think it's an important step and I think don't be fooled into believing that there's all the work is then done, you know. Right, right. It's a good stepping stone. Right, yeah. Pollution is ended because of the straws. No, I, I think that just thinking of this in terms of what's if we get in the habit of practicing more sustainable things, stop using straws is like an easy first step. And if we then stop doing things after that, because it's like, well, I stopped using straws so I can buy you know, 10 more plastic grocery bags today. And then people apologize for using straws. Now now we're making it so it's part of the social circle that people are apologizing for even using straws. Well, you really brought that full circle. Thank you. <laughs> I have my moments. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to this idea of how apologies are related to contrition and especially how this is related at least somewhat to that sort of Christian theology. And we'll start again with the etymology of this. It's a Latin word which comes from contritus, which means ground to pieces, that is crushed by guilt, and is, um, again, this repentance for sins one has committed. And it, this is a central concept inside of Christianity and probably any Abrahamic religion, I would guess, but at least definitely inside of Christianity. And contrition is regarded as the first step through Christ, toward reconciliation with God, and it is widely referred to throughout the Bible, as we mentioned earlier. So I, I just I just have to say, like, I feel like crushed by guilt is a pretty dramatic phrase, <laughs> right? I think it's like it, <laughs> it feels it just feels it, it feels really that's a very intense phrase for 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 guilt in general. The authors of the past seem to have had a penchant for the the dramatic. It seems. It's a, it. I mean, it's pretty great, but it is a little intense. That's a, that's an intense way to describe feeling guilty. Yeah. So the formal doctrine of the church, announced through the Council of Trent, declares that contrition has always been necessary to obtain pardon of one's sins. So uh, contrition is the first and indispensable condition for pardon, which it is possible for one to receive pardon. Where confession is impossible, there is no case where sin can be pardoned without contrition. So basically, to be relieved of your sin, you have to have a little bit of contrition, right? That Yes, that, that is what seems to be implied by this. There is that actually reminds me the third season of Serial that just came out this last year that was all about court cases, and I think mm -hmm. it was in Ohio because I think a lot of them were in Cleveland. 
And they were just going around basically sharing these court cases. And I remember there was this one segment where they were talking about, where one of the judges was talking about their sentencing guidelines and that if the defendant expresses remorse, remorseful behavior, uh, then or they express remorse for their actions, then they're more likely to get a more lenient sentencing. And so there there's this idea that it just it stood out to me at the time like wow this is really fascinating to me that you don't want people to you don't want them to tell the truth you don't want to stop them from doing it again you don't want to solve the problem that caused it in the first place your only goal in this situation is to have someone grovel on the floor in front of you. And if they can do that, then you feel good enough to just go home and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go light on you because you made me feel powerful in my position. And now I feel good about that because you have expressed submission and therefore I will go lenient on you. And what a bizarre way to go about dealing with criminal behavior. And not that I even am saying that they should be harder on the criminals and just say your apology doesn't matter. It's I just don't think that that should be part of the sentencing guidelines at all. You know, I think it should just be about like, can we tell from what we have observed if you are likely to do this again? That's sort of, I don't know. That's sort of my thought on that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, because like uh, it, it just becomes a power grab. I mean, you you uh, you know there are people in power that they hold people's lives in their hands. A couple words. I'm sorry. I'm remorseful. I won't do it again. Give somebody else like a like a free pass to be like, well, I was going to sentence you to 20 years. Now I'm only going to sentence you to 10. You know, and I feel like that's a strange place to be, like to hold that much sway over somebody's life. Like I think it just in just the fact that like an apology can kind of like change that a little bit. It just it's just an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. It's a dynamic that shouldn't exist if you're talking about like objective standards and stuff like that. But that's not an area that apologies should really matter as much as they seem to. Yeah. And I mean, I guess they're taking it as an indicator of the likelihood of recidivism or reoffending. I just don't, I don't know that it is, you know, and I, I think that it really is a matter of looking at what were the circumstances under which this occurred in the first place. Was this out of desperation? Was it an emotional reaction or was this a calculated planned habit, like habitual pattern that is likely to continue. And regardless of how they appear to be emotional or otherwise, just and maybe not regardless, maybe there's something useful. I don't know, but maybe there's something useful in looking at the, if they appear to really be genuinely uh, sorry for their actions or whatever, that, that might indicate to some extent that they're less likely to do it. But I think the context under which the the action took place is going to be the most revealing for the likelihood of them reoffending. That would be my guess, anyway. I'm not, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a judge, and I've never worked in that capacity, and I don't ever want to. But it just seems like I would think that a lot of attention to that initial context would be very informative in making a decision about what the outcome should be for the defendant. Agreed. Cool. That that was my second totally almost unrelated side tangent. So, I can support that. All right, I have I have I have more tangents coming up, but they're all related. I hope so. I'm ready. I can I can dive into that. We're good. So one thing I wanted to find was some stories for this particular discussion of people who were 
they found a lot of healing from an apology. And despite the searching that I did, I really had trouble finding any concrete stories. Mostly I found some stories of how to apologize well. That, that was most of what I found. And, uh, I mean, okay, great. But unfortunately, I was unable to find a, a specific example of that. But one thing I did find that I thought was kind of interesting was a website where they had, and this was just this person's opinion. I don't even know if this was based on anything other than their experience, but they, they came up with these five rules of apologizing. And, hmm. and so I'll, just, I'll go through them really quick. The first one is you can't put yourself in others' shoes. Don't even try. And this is the idea of you don't tell people, I know how you feel, because you don't. Even if you've been in that situation before, you don't know how that person feels in that situation. And that I can get on board with. That seems fine. The second part is to say sorry specifically, but not the backhanded sorry. This is the I'm sorry you were offended type apology, right? I'm sorry you don't get my point of view. Right. I'm sorry that you're so wrong about this (laughs) is essentially (laughs) what you're saying. Yeah, that doesn't work generally. The third part, so it's it's saying sorry and what they say or described as like a heartfelt, legitimate sorry. Uh, number three was the communicate specifically to have a plan of how you're going to change and fix your behavior in the future, but also to communicate to the person whom you have offended. The fourth one was the no buts thing. That's the sorry, but, and the example, I don't remember in this particular article, but the examples that I saw a lot of were things like, I'm sorry, but I thought I was doing the right thing, or I'm sorry, but, and the whole idea that the I'm sorry, but is always going to mean I'm still right. And therefore right. you're not, you're not apologizing. Right. It, yeah. I mean, that's, you see that in language is like, uh, like, you know, just the term, but just pretty much negates anything that you're going to say anyway. Like if you're giving feedback and it's like, Hey, you did this, that was really great. But like, it just kind of like, cuts off anything that you said before. Um, I'm going to take beef with that just a little bit because yeah, yeah. although I think, and that's why I think that I'm sorry, but is a totally like, I don't, I can't imagine a scenario in which that rule wouldn't apply where saying the but negates what happened before. However, there are plenty of situations where the word but doesn't negate what happens before. If I say it's raining outside, but I didn't get wet because I brought an umbrella, doesn't mean that it's no longer raining outside. Yeah, you know what I mean? There you go. Um, so, it, but is not a universal that you negate everything before. However, it does, as soon as you are, I guess you're creating the context in which you are preparing to negate the thing that you, you start with. Right. And, right. and you're exactly right that I think that the feedback and the apology. Once you start with that, then you have you've done the negating. It's just the yeah. word "button" in and of itself doesn't neg- is not an, a negative or negation type term. Yeah, that's fine. I can I can roll with that. Okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> and the I mean, it comes up a lot. And it was it was actually just on a show I was watching recently. And I, I remember when you are sort of passively having to sit in the situations, having the emotional reaction of like, ah, I hate when people say that. <laughs> Um, right, <laughs> but I, but but I also see why it, that is said because it can be used in that way, and I have also had people who say, "Well, just say and instead of but," and my response to that is, "Yeah, okay, that'll work for a little bit, and then we're all going to recognize that when we say and instead of but, that we're just saying but again." So, right. you know, it's j- just because you put different word there doesn't mean you have replaced functionally how you're using it 
Like, right. You, you did a great job, and you need to fix everything you're doing because it's wrong. <laughs> right? Right, right. It's just it, the, the word but doesn't have any magical power. It's how you use it. In that case, you're negating what you said before, and or anything else you put there will have the same effect. Right. All right. Okay. End of yeah, that I can roll with that. End of that tangent. Number five, <laughs> one of the five rules of apologizing, was that understanding and being prepared for the fact that forgiveness is not necessarily part of the deal when you're apologizing to somebody and that you shouldn't just expect that they will forgive you right on the spot. And so you should still apologize even if you don't necessarily receive that forgiveness right away. And so more or less, I guess, it's just the, the rule is know that that's going to happen. Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. Yeah, and I think that's one of the more interesting things about apologies. I think, and I mean, this is anecdotal, um, but just seeing that like people tend to have a hard time when somebody else doesn't forgive them. They'll make the apology and they'll say like, "I'm sorry, I did this," and da 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 da. But the the other person may not actually ever forgive them or say like, "It's okay." That's always a, a qualm that I've had with apologies when people are like, "It's okay." It's okay that it happened. It's like, well, it's not okay that that happened. Like, right. that's not a, you know, don't say it's okay. Say, like, don't let it happen again or we can move forward. Or There's there's so many other things you could say. And that's part of, like, that forgiveness isn't part of the deal. Because when you say it's okay, then it kind of gives them some a little bit of free reign to do it again. Yeah, and it also kind of, the the whole dance of the, I'm really sorry, it's okay, res- like reciprocation that tends to occur in these situations. It sort of becomes just this ritual that is done and it doesn't end up meaning anything right and it's not in the service of anything so it's when you apologize you sort of create the context where the expectation is is to have some kind of forgiveness and then the person on the other end maybe feels compelled to offer that maybe not i'm sure that that there are people who certainly are very willing (laughs) to not but i it makes it then the whole thing becomes perfunctory and superficial so yeah, it's just like it's a it's it's basically a crappy verbal contract. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So there are some positive outcomes to apologies. I mean, we were kind of like crapping on it a little bit, um, but there are some things that could possibly come out of apologies, right? Like there there are some good things that people could get out of an apology that are a little bit complex, but we can talk about those a little bit. Yeah. This is another article that I found that was suggesting some of the benefits, I guess, if you will, of apologizing. And what they said was that one positive outcome of apologizing, and let's be clear, pretty much every website was talking about how wonderful apologies are. But this this one in particular stated these more succinctly and clearly than others, I felt. And uh, so this article said it an apology indicates that you know that you have broken a rule or hurt someone and that by apologizing, you are agreeing with that person's statement that they have been hurt and that therefore hurting people is unacceptable or not okay. So that's one of the benefits that, or one of the positive outcomes that they listed there. And another one they listed was that um, using an apology can help reestablish the dignity uh, for those you have hurt. I've got so much issue with that one. <laughs> Go for it, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like depending on how um, serious the transgression is, there's no apology that's going to come out of that. Like, hey, I'm I'm sorry that I ran over your dog. You can apologize all you want, but I'm sorry, my dog's still not around. Like, you're not going to help me feel better about that situation by apologizing. I still lost a family member. So I have a hard time with, like, I mean, maybe in, like, smaller transgressions, I could see that being a thing, but I have a hard time believing that an apology would help reestablish any sort of dignity for, like, larger, more serious transgressions. 
I'm sorry I farted in the elevator. <laughs> See, I would be like, oh, come on. <laughs> I, you know, but I wouldn't be like, it's okay. I'd be like, I, I'm concerned that you would think that that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one they listed was that apologies help repair a relationship and they get people talking again. So if people have begun to avoid each other, I guess, or have gotten in a situation where they are maybe even feeling some amount of enmity toward one another, that if they apologize, then they can start having a conversation again to allow that relationship to heal to an extent. Okay. I could see that. So, and another one they mentioned is, um, it lets people know, uh, you don't feel good about what you did and you won't be repeating it. Again, kind of establishing this verbal contract that says, Hey, I'm not going to do this again. I'm sorry. I won't let it happen again. Yeah, and I'll come back to that last one a little bit later when I, at the end of this, I'm going to be going on my super tangent, possibly. <laughs> We're not, so ready. Not that I predict the future or anything, just <laughs> that I'm saying. Anyway, moving on. So as I mentioned earlier, I was interested in this idea of the evolutionary, I think Trivers was the one who was talking about this evolutionary history of this and this idea of social bonding. And so I was curious to look at other cultures and see how other cultures handle this. And most of what I found um, uh, and the research that was done here in, uh, really talked mostly about Japan, China, South Korea, so these primarily Eastern Asian countries, it looks like, and that every culture sort of has its own rules about apologies, as you might imagine. In America, it tends to be the case, and Americans are a pretty different group of people, they're not super homogenous, but it tends to be the case that Americans view apologizing as an admission of wrongdoing and that they also use it not when they mean it, I guess, so use it to maybe get out of something, and that they link apology to blame and reestablishing personal credibility. And this actually, so this reminds me of the podcast episode I heard talking about apologies a while back. And the idea here was that if you were to, I think it was with respect to traffic, but it could have been other crimes as well. Uh, If you were to apologize, and I'm just going to say it was traffic because I'm pretty sure that's what it was, then that was an admission of your guilt in the situation. And so they've actually changed a bunch of laws where you can apologize and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're admitting fault in that particular situation because of this idea, first of all, of people's tendency to want to apologize, and second, because of this idea that the apology can be healing for the person who was injured in that situation and that they feel worse when someone was was to like crash into them and be like, well, it's your fault. Your fault that I hit your car. Right. And then sort of re-victimize them all over again. And so I can kind of see why you would want to, I guess, have that system be removed. But anyway, that's just to go to say that in the American culture, you tend to see this as um, apologizing for something could, in certain circumstances, indicate that you are implying that you were at fault for that situation. In that particular um, viewpoint, you see expressed a lot in in some um, depictions of I've seen it depicted in like law based shows, um, you know, or like when they talk about any sort of litigation, you hear that a lot. It's like, don't say you're sorry. It's an admission of guilt. It implies that you have done something wrong. And then you're going to cause your a whole world of mess for yourself <laughs> by just saying you're sorry, um, which right. I think is kind of wild. 
Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and kind of uh, linking this to some other cultures and, and dis- dis- discussing this, the, the when we talk about Japanese and Chinese culture, and this is a, a broad stroke generalization, but the idea that um, they see it as an expression of eagerness to repair damaged relationship with no culpability implied. So, so basically what an apology means is they're trying to go forward. It's, it's, a, it's a movement forward to try and fix some kind of damage that's occurred. Um, it's not necessarily an admission of guilt or wrongdoing. It's, um, hey, let's let's go ahead and, like, you know, put a stop to the damage here and go forward with with what we need to do. Cool. Uh, and so, actually, this has been an issue between uh, Japanese and American relations for many years. You've seen in situations, specifically business situations, where both countries have been insulted about how, or basically, how the other reacted when something occurred. Um, so the apologies kind of go back and forth, and they turn into these funny things. But I was listening to a podcast about this where they were talking about um, business relationships breaking down because there are such a strong cultural and uh, language barrier um, in these business relationships. Like they talked about, uh, it was a wrestling, WCW, (laughs) and they were actually talking about trying to make deals to get like the different talent to to, um, engage with one another across their, their countries and they couldn't make it work because just the business situations were so unique and the language barriers and things like apologies and um, and some of the tradition around it were really problematic. So uh, it's interesting that something as simple or what we think is as simple as an apology turns into something bigger where, um, you know, these business relationships break down so, so tremendously. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So let's move on to talking about this as objectively as we possibly can. One thing that is is difficult is looking at this from the view of how do we just look at what behaviors specifically are occurring so that we can wrap some context around this and avoid trying to impose our own interpretation and meaning on things, but instead just sort of analyze what's happening for the sake of what's happening. And what's difficult inside of this is how much of an apology seems to be related to the idea of emotions and feelings and guilt and etc cetera, etc cetera, that is not necessarily things that we know for sure it's going to be often sort of a, a post hoc recollection of what happened or you know it's hard it's hard sometimes to really label exactly what we're feeling and so the the language around this implies that that those emotions cause the this feeling of of wanting to apologize in this conflict however as we've talked about on this show these thoughts and feelings and emotions that we have in situations where we're angry or we're feeling maybe regret about something, that feeling, those thoughts, those are still behaviors. And so those behaviors still in, uh, occur inside of the context of the other behaviors that, that happened as well. And so are therefore part of the same set of uh, circumstances that make it more or less likely to happen. And those things don't cause the behavior. They just they just come along with the behavior, right? And so the reliance on emotions in the analysis of conflict when trying to wrap that in to talk about, oh, we did this because we feel guilty or, or we feel bad or whatever, what that ends up doing is directing our attention away from what is the actual critical concern in a conflict. And the focus is not to address or relieve the emotions of the individuals who are involved, but instead to try and I guess, modify the environment and the social context and the conditions related to the behaviors that gave rise to the conflict in the first place, and then therefore identify those that might lead to some kind of resolution. 
All right, so in this approach, uh, the goal is really more to assess those verbal interactions and place more of an emphasis on functions of behavior. So why are people even apologizing in the first place? Let's get an idea of what that context is so we can determine why that response is even occurring or why it continues to occur. So. Concentrating on the form alone does not allow for a causal analysis. You're actually limited to, limited to an individual occurrence. Behaviors are likely to vary in how they appear, but they actually have the same effect in that situation. So what ends up happening um, is it's difficult to predict how people will behave in that particular context. Right. And so addressing those behaviors in terms of sort of the context and the condition under which they occur allows us to understand and better predict under which uh, the circumstances under which that's likely to occur again and with respect to that particular outcome and then that leads that can allow us to make the appropriate modifications to the circumstance so that that is likely to change in the future and be i guess uh, there will there's less likely to be conflict makes sense okay <laughs> so part of this of understanding this is addressing both people and their role in this situation, not just the person who is the victim of the apology, but also the person who is doing the apology. And by because just by the very nature of the circumstance, interpersonal conflict can't exist with just one person. You really have to have them both. And probably someone is listening to this thinking, well, what about people with dissociative identity disorder? And that's not what we're talking about right now. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a can of worms we don't need to open at this moment. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, talking about when we're generally speaking about, even in almost all circumstances, speaking about this idea of conflict, you have to have two people. And so therefore, there are two sets of circumstances going on, at least, for both for uh, each person. All right. Well, one per, for each person's two total. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it is the, the engagement of at least uh, both those people that produces the conflict. So even if you have you think of perpetrator and victim you need to ha you needed to have both in order for there to be the conflict in the first place therefore you need to analyze and understand um, both people's behavior and how they affect one another yeah and this is uh, i think a really critical component when we're talking about apologies because this is going to determine what the actual purpose of the apology is in any of those contexts so um People, we talk about what apologies do and kind of the function they serve, but it doesn't really discuss like those individual contexts. Like I may be apologizing to you because I'm trying to repair a relationship where maybe I'm apologizing to somebody else because I'm trying to avoid some kind of like really serious consequence, right? So there are a lot of different contexts that we might have to look at and we really have to take the time to analyze those variables among those two people to really even I really determine what the apology, like why the apology is even there essentially. Okay, so let's kind of simplify the series of steps that we've been talking about here. First, you have that the effect. Uh, let's let's actually use our names in this. I think that'll help. So um, yeah. I will be the offender, and Shane, you are the victim. Is that okay? The story of my life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, so first I do something too bad to Shane. And then Shane, the victim of what I have done, retaliates or otherwise seeks to try and punish me for having done that. And so this is potentially a, a type of punishment for me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to then apologize to Shane. And this might potentially justify his use of punishment in his retaliation for him. And he also then might therefore forgive me, which in turn would re reward me for 
doing that apology. So that's that whole dance we were talking about, right? Where we just talk about this is exactly what happened. I did something, you did something, I did something, you did something. Going back and forth where one thing evokes or leads to the other person doing what they're going to do. So like I do something that that hurts or offends you in some way and then that leads to you doing something which leads to me doing something and everything that we do is both a cue for the person to do their thing and also either a punishment or or a reward for the person um, who just did the thing that they did and that way we can sort of understand what that sort of looks like but I also think it's important to consider this in terms of the motivation for both people so for the person who is the doing the apologizing, the motivation in this situation is likely to end the situation or get some kind of feeling of I've done the right thing or some kind of feedback that I've done the right thing by apologizing. That's often going to be sort of the motivation is um, I'm, I'm now doing the right thing. You, you might think of it that way, right? Right. Or, or some other kind of social recognition of of your behavior is now appropriate for the victim if they're seeing the apology specifically as a good thing then the the motivation for them is to see the perpetrator feel bad because an apology is this i feel bad right right i i i want to i want to express to you how bad i feel and so for them their motivation or their what the reward for them is seeing that person feeling bad or having injury come to them. So you have injured me. Now I must see injury come to you. It's a sort of a vengeance reciprocal sort of thing, right? That sounds, that sounds uh, pretty intense. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're getting, we're getting close to the, the main point in this, I think. Now, one thing is there was this interesting study on situations in which apologizing is more likely to hurt than to heal. And for whatever reason, in studies where they're looking at things like this, they would like to use hot sauce packets. And I don't remember exactly the entire context of this uh, study that was done. This was done by Friedman and colleagues in 2017 in the journal Frontiers of Psychology. And in the first study, they found that individuals used apologies in these social rejection situations. And I think it was the social rejections where they used the hot sauce packets. Maybe it was something else. Anyway, it had, th- this is actually relatively common in psychology research is all I was trying to say. <laughs> and that the apologies in these social rejections were uh, associated with higher levels of explicit hurt feelings. Uh, the part of the, the people who are the victims in this in this case. And the second study, they manipulated whether or not there was a face-to-face apology in a social rejection and that or without one, and found that when there was an ap- apology with the social rejection, there was more aggressive behavior on the part of the person who was being rejected. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and also the people who were rejected were reluctant to admit feeling rejected. And then finally, in the last study, they found that there was the social rejection with an apology, and the people felt more compelled to express that forgiveness, even if they didn't necessarily feel that forgiveness. And again, that's going back to this sort of reciprocal dance that we we're talking about. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, what's interesting, too, is like with these studies, it's close to like 
almost 2000 people that were studied for this for these for this series of studies. So there's a lot of data here. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a pretty decent size. If you're going to do an aggregated group study to look at them, then that's that's a good number of people to have in there. So all all of this sort of is related to this idea of something. Have you ever heard this before? Something called Schadenfreude? Gesundheit. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> No, I have actually not heard this term, um, and I actually tried to look it up while we were researching this, and I was not able to um, find a really good explanation for it. Okay, and yeah, we mentioned this at the very top of the episode, but this is generally the I, the experience that people often have at feeling pleasure or joy or some sort of self-satisfaction when learning of or observing other people who are having trouble, failure, or hum- humiliation. And this is really a complex type situation, as you can imagine. So it's rather than feeling sympathy towards someone's misfortune, it causes you to feel joy and pleasure in watching them fail. Um, this is often shown more in children than and than in adults. However, do- adults definitely experience it. Um, they're often just better at sort of concealing their expressions about it, although oftentimes very much not. And since at the time that this is going to be coming out, it is either right around or shortly before or after the final season of Game of Thrones, I think that for those people who watch HBO's Game of Thrones, have definitely had the, not definitely, have likely had the experience of watching some harm come to some of the villainous people on that show and felt jubilant at seeing them be slaughtered or hurt or tortured or imprisoned or whatever happens to them. And that is a very much a example of this idea of schadenfreude. Yeah, and you'll the way I understood this as I was kind of looking into it was kind of like um, in in the behavioral terminology that we might use is signs of damage, right? Like the the reason that behavior might occur more often is because it's reinforced by seeing somebody else in pain or discomfort or or seeing somebody fail or like that's why we like watching like uh like YouTube videos of people slipping on ice and and sliding down a driveway and stuff. Like it's just kind <laughs> of a funny thing. Like we get a little bit of joy out of that, right? And and how slapstick comedy came to be a thing is the understanding that people find some amount of joy in, in seeing people who get hurt. Now, that being said, most of the time, people, if they think it's real, don't necessarily find joy in that for like slapstick comedy when they do those crazy stunts and everything. Mm-hmm. However, there are certainly some people who, who tend to, even when they think it's real, find some joy in that. So anyway, that stems from the word schaden, which means damage or harm, and freud, which means joy. So joy and damage and harm it's a pretty straight it's a pretty straightforward translation actually from the definition this was first mentioned in english texts in 1852 and 1867 and first used in english running text in 1895 in german it was first attested in in 1740s so it's been around for a while but it just didn't make it to the states for a little bit right so the the bible actually mentions something similar to this so the book of proverbs actually mentions an emotion similar to schadenfreude uh and they actually the, the direct pr- quote is uh rejoice not when thine enemy falleth and let not thine heart be glad when that when he stumbleth uh lest the i have so much i have such a hard time reading <laughs> bible verses lest the lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him proverbs 24:17 and 18 and that one sort of seems to be suggesting don't experience joy um, at other people's sorrow. Some other common popular examples of this are laughing at someone when they fall down, thinking about the movies Jackass and 
or the Jackass movies, I guess you could say, that have come out, a lot of those involve people who get hurt or do crazy stunts that involve them getting hurt. There's one where I think they put like paper cuts on each other all over the place, and one where they they were jumping up behind a jet engine, so it would blow them back about thirty or forty feet, and they like yeah. land, they just land on the ground, hitting it, the ground going you know fifteen miles an hour. Right, <laughs> it's ridiculous. As a sports fan, and actually walking watching like uh, like I grew up watching baseball and stuff like that. Hockey is another one. Like some hockey players might feel a short sense of delight uh, when the opposing team's goalie is injured, or um, or as a fan um, living in Daytona during race week, there seems to be kind of like a like a, like excitement around crashes. Sure. Like yeah, when that happens. I think for people who live on the West Coast, watching Super Bowl games with the Patriots and seeing them do badly when they do badly I there's think, i think that's everywhere except for the northeast <laughs> okay <laughs> fair enough another one is uh business owners might feel happy that a competing business or a similar business had uh either went under or had declared bankruptcy so that they're then more likely to get the business of that one that went under so if you've also experienced envy um, that's another uh, kind of example of this where you might feel glad that somebody you envy has had a misfortune or uh, if you follow celebrities and um, maybe they engage in some or they have they come across some misfortunes in their life um, and you take a little bit of delight in that um, you know especially celebrities who aren't that great you might you might have that experience or just ones that you are just jealous of you know mm-hmm and then you can see how this is related to the idea of justice. This is tied to the sense of delight at someone gets what they deserve. The whole idea of, have you heard the term just desserts? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's really funny that term, and I like to use it when I have the opportunity to. So. I, I always like um, comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. Get their comeuppance. Yeah, exactly. Get their comeuppance, which I always thought was um, comeuffins, and I had no <laughs> idea what somebody was saying. It's a type so of muffin. I, it took me so long to find it. I was like, well, how do you spell this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody gets their type of muffins. All right. So, that I mean, that's it for sort of the, the science-y and overall breakdown of all of this. Are you ready for some hot takes? Let's do it. I'm all right. So, so, when I was a younger lad, I really liked movies and stories about, like, vengeance. Okay. And and so like my one of my favorite books, I mean, still kind of is mostly I haven't read it in a long time, but was Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander yeah. Dumas, where the whole book is about him getting revenge for being mistreated. And he does this very elaborate scheme and getting his revenge. And it's very thorough. And I mean, he just like tears his enemies apart over time and is very calculated about it. And I, I just loved it. And I remember watching the movie V for Vendetta. And in that movie, there's the one character who talks about for years I lived with her, well, she was living with her partner and I never had to apologize for anything. And I remember thinking at the time, you should have to apologize for things. Like that's a good thing to apologize for things. And that was such a foreign concept to me, this idea that you wouldn't have to apologize to someone that you love. Mm -hmm. And as I have sort of grown older, I feel like I understand it much more. And it has to do with what we get out of apologizing to one another. And I will just I will just declare now, like, I don't like being apologized to. But maybe not for the reason that you might think. And I've heard people talk about they don't like it when people apologize because they don't really mean it. That's not why I don't like being apologized to. 
I don't want people to mean it. I don't care. Actually, I specifically don't want them to mean it, right? It's not even that I don't care if they do or not. It's that I don't want them to. And the reason is that I have developed over time, I feel that I would label myself, if anything, as a humanist. My values are for the well-being of other people. And so apologies to me are when you feel good because someone else feels bad. You're looking at someone else's pain and thinking, oh, that's the stuff. Look at that. Look at that pain you're feeling. Oh, it feels so good when you're in pain. That's that's kind of gross to me in a way. That's it's kind of horrible. Again, this is totally personal. This is just how I feel about it. I don't want to feel like someone else is in pain and that's bringing me some sense of pleasure. Right. I feel uh, – and I actually, although I like watching some of the, the jackass videos and that sort of stuff, I really, really don't like seeing people get hurt when I think it's really happening. Horror movies are a similar one. Like I like watching horror movies because I know it's not real. I like watching magic tricks where people saw off limbs because I know it's not real. To see that in real life, and I've seen some amount of it, unfortunately, is like it's nauseating to the point of making me almost pass out. I really don't like seeing harm come to other people, and I can't bring myself to enjoy people apologizing to me when it simply means that they are expressing to me that they feel badly, and that they're doing so because they believe that their feeling badly is going to bring me some sort of happiness. And so, I mean, it's just, it's against my values to find joy in other people's suffering. And in a way, when people apologize to me, what I hear is they're saying to me, you're a monster. You're a sadistic monster, and I'm going to feed that monster so that the monster doesn't eat me. And that's I don't want to be a monster. I don't want I don't want any of those things. And there is this idea the the one circumstance under which I think that apology an apology would be useful for me that I can think of right now at least is when somebody has done something and I don't know whether they did it on purpose or it was an accident. And if they apologize, then that indicates to me that there is no more danger from this person. It was an accident. And, see the but and thing coming back? (laughs) (laughs) And. And. And if that person had just said that was an accident, that would serve the exact same function for me as if they had said, I'm sorry. All they had to do was let me know they're not going to be hurting me anymore. And then I'm fine. So I will practice forgiveness in the absence of having to receive that apology because I'm not a monster. And that's just what my values are. Now, I apologize a lot. Like I say, I'm one of those people who just says sorry for everything. You know, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. And that's how I that's how I approach situations. And again, it's not sometimes it's just a part of that dance. Like I'll admit that now that it's just. I did this thing, I say I'm sorry, you say it's okay, we go about our day, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I legitimately feel bad. And I also feel a little bit gross that I'm painting that person in that light. This idea of apologizing and wanting to apologize, be apologized to is the, the I need to make you wrong. I need to make you wrong so you apologize so that I can be right. Or I need to be right 
whatever it is. Or even if I'm the one who's doing the the apologizing, say, like, I need to make you right. And if I'm going to do the whole justifying thing, then that's just as bad as I need to make you wrong again. And it doesn't go anywhere. Like, the, 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 the payoff for this is that I, you know, maybe feel good at the moment, but the, the cost of this is that that relationship. So to me, apologizing is just as much damaging as doing the harm in the first place. And that's, that's a pretty intense take. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that's just sort of where I stand on that. Like, I don't need to make, I, I don't want to have to make people wrong in order for me to feel good. I don't want to have to have people suffer in order for me to feel good. I will practice forgiveness whether or not I have the apology. And often, and I'd actually prefer that I don't. I'll practice forgiveness without the apology because that's what my values are. My values are that I am able to find humanity and find love for my enemy for people who have done something that has wronged me because that's what I think is the, it's the compassionate thing to do and it's the right thing to do. And it's the approach that will have the best outcome for the longest period of time. I like that. I mean, I I think that's, I think that's a really deep way to look at it. Like I've always kind of looked at it from a practical standpoint, as far as apologies go. Because I see a lot of people focus so much on getting somebody else to apologize, and, and I never really understood the purpose of it. Like when I work with families, and they're like, you need to apologize, and they spend so much time and give somebody so much attention just to get them to say the words, I'm sorry, whether they mean it or not, doesn't really... I never really saw a purpose in that. Kind of like I never, I never really understood why people make the bed. Like I don't understand why that's a thing that people do, because it's like so... I, and that's just my own stuff, but my thing was always like, it's already done. We're the focus is not necessarily that they need to apologize. The focus is they maybe don't need to hit anybody anymore. Like maybe they don't punch people. Maybe we right. focus on that. You know, maybe we focus on the <laughs> stuff ahead of time so that they don't have to apologize. And so that was kind of my, my thing is like, you know, it just, it always came as an afterthought to me. Like apologies were always an afterthought, not necessarily uh, an error correction or anything like that. So I, I always kind of try to look at it like that. Even in the grand social schemes, like we kind of talked about where it's like it improves relationships or it helps repair relationships. And if that's the case and it does, that's great. But for me, it was always like, well, it's already done. Like, so what are we going to do to go forward? I don't need you to tell me you're sorry. I need this to be fixed. Like that, you, let that serve as your apology. So whatever that is, like, let's not happen. Let's not let this happen again. Let's go forward. Like, I, you're you're wasting time telling me that you're sorry about something. Yeah, I mean, and I, yeah, I completely agree with that. That there often is this this idea of like, oh, I got an apology. Now everything is okay. I mean, no, it's not, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be. There's the idea of this like relentlessly seeking apologies is not going to change the fact that it happened. The point is let's prevent this from happening again. That's really, that's, that's really all it is. Right. And, and like, I understand that sometimes you can't fix it. Someone runs over your dog, you can't fix it. And the best you can do in that situation, I think, personally, is be as as compassionate to the person that you've injured as possible. Maybe that means saying you're sorry. Maybe that's what they want to hear. But, like, you can't bring it back. There are some things you just can't fix. And if you can fix it, then you may as well try and fix it, right? Then, yeah, use your energy there. Fix, Allocate your resources and your responses to that. Take the time to fix it. Don't spend your time apologizing because that's not going to do... It's it's not gonna it's not gonna achieve the same thing, it just doesn't. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up real quick. That's perfect. I'm I'm good with wrapping up on that bummer. 
<laughs> Killjoys, that's what we oh. are. <laughs> so I think some major points in here is just that there there's a long and complicated history of this idea of apologies. It also seems to be pretty culturally bound in how people use apologies. One thing I, I didn't mention before, there was a thing where someone there was like an old movie star from back in the 50s who was this sort of masculine man, manly man who said something like never apologize it's a sign of weakness my actual take on that is this that's just a stupid pointless thing to say so it's just dumb it just right. it just is meaningless and doesn't mean anything apologizing is just you know whatever anyway the some of the things we talked about that like there's this this is there's a lot of this wrapped up inside of the the christian theology and history of this with respect to contrition and penitence this is also related to this idea of schadenfreude. And it seems maybe that it was sort of tangentially related, but the reason that I brought it in here was because of this finding joy in other people feeling bad. Like that's what apologizing and wanting people to apologize is. It's that they feel bad and you feel good about that. So that's why I had to bring that in. And that this is actually kind of new in human history. I mean, we have sort of the, the Bible, but otherwise records of this are from like Shakespeare, you know? So mm-hmm. not not that terribly uh, ancient. And, uh, you know, another thing, too, to kind of take away from this is, is when you say sorry for something, people will typically respond in a way that makes you feel better. When you're apologizing to the victim, they're going to go out of their way to make you feel better about what happened. They're going to make you feel better about what you did. And that's not really the I feel like that's not the way that that should go. <laughs> It should be like the apologizer should be making the victim feel better about the situation and trying to rectify it. And most of the time, people will not want to see you in pain. So they're going to make you feel better about things that you did because you apologized. Yeah. So and then there's the steps that we talked about that saying sorry, but with saying sorry, but right there (laughs) saying sorry (laughs) with with that caveat. And then also saying like I understand how you feel or trying to put your explain that you uh, already understand that person's position is uh, not really effective because you don't you don't know what that person's feeling in that moment and it doesn't they then feel like you are again making them wrong if you try and say hey I'm I'm already in your position like I know what you're feeling and so that doesn't help and that you can't necessarily expect that forgiveness is always going to be forthcoming in the situations right and, you know, I think the other side of it, too, and kind of pulling from the research and kind of looking at this as objectively as possible is that no matter the good intentions of people, um, people are apologizing the wrong way. They often apologize, but it actually makes people feel worse. So that's kind of a, uh, an interesting thing that we've spent so much time talking about how apologies are meant to fix things. Um, and this may be specifically a cultural thing, but in some cultures, apologies do make people feel worse than they did before. And that's not necessarily the the intention I, you could argue of actually wanting to apologize sort of like I weirdly also don't tends to not be like this is kind of a weird side tangent but I, I often don't really like it when I'm thanked for something I was coerced into doing and it's right you know, and someone like made me do something I didn't want to do and they're like thanks for doing that I'm like oh I didn't do it for you <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know uh. how angry I am about the fact that you made me do this you jerk <laughs> Sorry for helping you so much. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that's the bulk of it. Um, as I said, sort of my my take on this is that I feel I don't like being apologized to, and I don't want people to apologize to me because it represents the idea that I have to make people wrong in order to be right, and that I take joy in other people's suffering, and that's not what I want to be. 
And uh, my takeaway is I think apologies are fine if they're used the right way, but I don't think that we should spend enough time. We should spend all of our time focused on them as much as we should the, on the behaviors of that that would be used to fix the whatever the issue is. Like whatever you're apologizing for, spend time fixing it versus apologizing for it. And I think I also, I'm glad that you said that. I want to definitely leave with the note that I'm not saying that everybody should think about this the way that I do. That's just my own values around this. So some people find a lot of healing value in apologies. It makes them, it does help them repair relationships with others. And if that's the case, then more power to you. I don't want to take away from people who find a lot of value in those apologies. I just wanted to the, I mean, the purpose of this really was to break down sort of this culture and history of apology and and what it sort of means and how it sort of works. But I also wanted to bring a really nuanced approach to it. If if, if I hope that we sort of more or less accomplish that and talk about the the implications of this thing. So it's it's an interesting topic. I think there's probably more to unpack here, like there always is. Uh, you know, I've said mm-hmm. like you can take you know, one minute of an event that takes place and spend a hundred years talking about every single component of that event. And so whenever you take a topic and you choose to talk about it for, you know, an hour or in some change, I guess we're at now that you're going to invariably have to take an, an angle on it, right? You can't talk about one thing from all the possible ways. It would take all of, all of the rest of my life to do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to, we ha- so we have to choose an angle and that's sort of the, the one that we chose with this one. And again, like, uh, you know, it, people are going to approach this in whatever ways make sense to them. And that's totally fine. And I feel a particular way about apologies for myself that is not necessarily going to be shared by others. And I think that's yep. okay, too. Yep. And I think that's perfect. I think that's a good place to, to wrap. All right. Perfect. Special thanks to Britt Bowerly and Brittany Marie DeSanti for their work and preparation on research for this episode. Well, this has been long enough, so let's go ahead and wrap it up there. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.